Thank you, Seth. You know we appreciate you leading us every week. Mark 10 is where we're going to be this morning. Mark 10, and we're going to be looking at verses 28 through 31. Let me read those to us. This is the really the second half of that section that we started last week. And this is what it says. Peter began to say to him, See, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. He will not receive a hundredfold now and this time houses and brothers and sisters and mother and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Would you bow with me before we sit down? Father, I want to give you praise and thank you for the fact that we can be here. This freedom has always been allotted to us. We've never known what it's like to not have this freedom to gather together for worship. We've always been free to worship, and so, Father, we are grateful for that. Help us to see the great advantage we have. I pray also, Father, that your Holy Spirit would do his work now in illuminating the word of God for us, Lord, shining it brightly into our hearts, opening our eyes, opening our hearts to believe it. And please give us grace to walk in it, Lord. You do not want us just to have mental understanding, Lord. You want us to also have heart affirmation, and willingness to walk in this truth. Lord, please convict of sin, convince of the truth, and convert the hearts of those who don't know you yet. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So this is actually a part two for us. As you might recall, uh, we started this section that I titled the sermon for this section, The Peril of Possessions. And so this is The Peril of Possessions, part two. The Peril of Possessions, where Jesus started off in this section. We began with Jesus talking to the man that's been commonly called the rich young ruler, as you might recall. And he went away sad. But in this second part, Jesus answers a question of Peter, and we learn more truth that's meant for our motivation. A lot of times, motivation is just one of the missing components that keeps us from doing something. We're just not motivated to do it. And so I want to have Jesus motivate you and motivate me this morning, what he has to say. His motivation will not only help us see our possessions in the right light, but uh, as we discussed last week, but they'll also help us to see our earthly relationships in the right light. And that's really going to be the focus of Jesus today, is our earthly relationships as well, in light of the gospel and in light of Jesus Christ. So, in seeing the young man refuse to renounce all of his possessions, selling those, giving all that to the poor, and following Jesus. Peter, seeing that happen, seeing that man go away, refusing to do that, refusing to follow Jesus, we know it's because he had great possessions, 
And those possessions had a strong hold on his heart. Peter makes a comparison with the man. Look what Peter says in verse 28. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Now this statement of Peter's is referring back, of course, to what just happened with the man. He makes a comparison. Look what he didn't do. But we have left everything to follow you. Matthew's account of this adds Peter saying, What then shall we receive? Mankind does this a lot, unfortunately. We compare ourselves with others. We also want to know what's in it for us. So Peter, still in his infant stages of his walk with Jesus Christ, says things that a young child might say, physically young child, things like, what about me? What about me? What's in it for me? Focus on me. And that's what we see Peter doing here. Now, Jesus responds just like a good, a patient parent might do when a young child asks a question that's not completely appropriate to ask. But Jesus still uses this as a good teaching moment, a teaching moment that will reveal greater truth. And praise God for that. Greater truth that has benefited millions of Christians for thousands of years. Look at verse 29 and 30. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children and lands with persecutions in the age to come eternal life. I want to start out by pointing out how broad this statement of Jesus is. There, there's two words that if you miss them, you might miss just how, just how broad this is and see how it can refer to every true follower of Jesus. Notice Jesus said there is no one who has done this who will not receive this. No one. So this applies to everyone who's done this, everyone who's had to do this, and I would even say in almost any degree, this applies to all who've placed allegiance to Jesus and the gospel above every other earthly allegiance. I want to talk here about the man Jesus and the mission of the gospel because Jesus says that this applies to everyone who's done it. He says, for me, for my sake, and the Gospels. My sake and the Gospels. That's the man and that's the mission. When you come to truly know Jesus Christ, he becomes so important and precious to you like he never was before, ever. You see him for, how, for who he truly is. And when you see him for, true, for who he truly is, he's really 
all satisfying. And you say, why would I want anything else? When he saves us through the power of the gospel. The gospel is simply this. We are separated from God because of our sins. It's very clear all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I've never spoken to anyone. I've shared the gospel with a lot of people. I've never spoken to anyone who has claimed sinlessness. Everyone who I've spoken to says, yes, I've sinned. Now, of course, they downgrade how serious that sin is, but that's when the Holy Spirit, that's his job, to show us, to convince us of just how serious our sin is, that it has truly separated us from a holy God and that there will be a judgment and God judges all things rightly. He does not judge on a curve. He cannot be bribed. And your good works will never save you according to the scriptures. And so the gospel is this. Though we're separated from a holy God and can do nothing to save ourselves, Jesus Christ was sent by God to save us because he lived a perfect, sinless life. Never did anything wrong. He was tempted in every way. We are yet without sin, the scriptures tell us. And he willingly chose to take the punishment that we deserve, that you deserve, that I deserve. I'm lumping myself in here too. Pastors are not sinless either. And he chose to die to take the punishment that we deserve. God's wrath is just, and because he's a good judge, he will punish sin wherever it's found, and it's found in us. And we have the God-man, Jesus Christ, who stepped in on our behalf to save us, who took the punishment for us. That was the death on the cross where he shed his blood and died. That's the wrath of God being poured out on him. And he rose again from the dead. And that's the message that we have, that all who put their faith and trust in what he did can be saved. Your sins, think of a chalkboard. They can be wiped away. Your chalkboard can be erased. And that's good news. And I know it's good news because he did it for me. And I don't deserve that. Could never deserve it. But he chose me. And he saved me. And he's calling out to anyone here in this room right now, or anyone who's listening online, this message is for you too. He really saves sinners. And then he gives us, whom he saved, the mission of sharing that good news with others. That's why he says, who's ever left houses, lands, any of these things for my sake and the Gospels. That's the man, Jesus Christ, who we now know and the Gospels. That's the mission that we now have to share it with others and to advance the kingdom. And it's a glorious privilege. So every one of you who knows him, every one of you who's ever had to stand on conscience and stand on truth and stand with Jesus and had to say, I've got to follow Jesus. I'm committed to Jesus. And if it means I lose out on this area for following Jesus, then so be it. Jesus and his word are more precious to me, and I choose Jesus. It's part of taking up our cross to follow Jesus. That's part of it. And Jesus said it would be this way. Listen to Matthew 10, 34 through 39. Matthew 10, 34 through 39. <laughs> Jesus said these words. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you find your earthly relationships with parents and siblings and grown children, I'm, I'm specifically saying grown children here because Jesus is not advocating the leaving of little children, and you've wrapped up your life in those relationships, but at the same time, they are people who reject the gospel and who will persecute you in some way for following Jesus, so you stay with them, instead of following Jesus, finding them more important than following Jesus, according to him, you've lost your life. You've lost it. But if you forsake all earthly allegiances that don't line up with his truth, the truth of the word of God, in order to have God, then you have found real life, according to what Jesus said. That's what he meant there at the end. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, we don't feel this, um, what I'm talking about, this persecution, this extreme persecution. We don't really feel that here in the Southeast United States of America. We don't feel it as much uh, where Christianity is still somewhat socially accepted and really, let's just be honest, still even celebrated. Like for example, I've had the opportunity to tell many people that I'm a pastor. I've never had anyone here, well, really ever, but I've never had anyone spit on me once they heard that, shun me, curse me, and say, get out of my face. Never had that. Honestly, for the most part here in, in Alabama, in the South, when people hear I'm a pastor, you know what they, they mostly say, oh, that's great. They're mostly recognizing that, well, that's a good thing. But even just a few states up, or far west, we know, um, it's more likely to lose a job, perhaps, for a stance on the truth of the word of God, a stance with Jesus Christ. Um, also, just one country down, Mexico, where it's predominantly Catholic, people get excommunicated from families for becoming Protestant, evangelical Christians. I've heard of that. I've even heard of missionaries. There, there are certain towns in Mexico where they are very staunchly Catholic. And I've heard of missionaries being run out of certain towns by a mob of people saying, you're not welcome here. We're Catholic. And so, depending on the town... You can get run out of that town if you become a believer there. 
Now, Jesus referred to leaving lands, didn't he? Let's talk about the Muslim countries. What about those? Yemen, Iraq. I think it's either Iraq or Iran where it's still in the laws that if you convert from Islam, it is a crime. So we know that brothers and sisters are sometimes even killed in those places for converting to Christianity. Now, those are the extreme examples, of course, but for that region, even the the mild cases, it's very common to be excommunicated from the family when becoming a Christian. That's just, we've heard a lot of stories like that. We know those stories, and we know they're not just stories. We know they're true accounts. Now, not all losing of father or mother or children or lands or homes is because the people hate the Lord and his gospel, is it? There are missionaries from very supportive families of what they're doing, very supportive of that work, but they they still have to leave mother, father, maybe even children, their grown children, brothers, sisters, lands, homes, for Jesus and the gospel in order to go and live on foreign soil to make his truth known. And some of them never return home. So whether you're being chased out by non-believers or sent out with a blessing by fellow believers, Jesus gives us some motivation. He gives us motivation here, and we need that. We need this because you can face trials better when you can see through the trials to what's on the other end. It's just the truth. You can when you see something hard, but you can see, you know, that's, I see the prize on the other side, though, and I really want that, so let's just hunker down and get through this. That's helpful for us. It is. So Jesus gives us all some motivation. He says in verse 30, there's no one who's had to leave any and all of these things who will not receive a hundredfold? Now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children, and lands. What does he mean? What does he mean? Receiving a hundred towns? Receiving a hundred houses? That sounds pretty good. Receiving a hundred mothers? Receiving a hundred children? Listen to what John Piper wrote on this topic. He said this, If you are deprived of your earthly family in the service of Christ, it will be made up a hundredfold in your spiritual family, the church. But even this may be too limiting. What about the lonely missionaries who labor for years without being surrounded by hundreds of sisters and brothers and mothers and children in the faith? Is the promise not true for them? Surely it is. Surely, what Christ means is that he himself makes up for every loss. If you give up a mother's nearby affection and concern, you get back 100 times the affection and concern from your ever-present Christ. If you give up the warm comradeship of a brother, you get back 100 times the warmth and camaraderie from Christ. If you give up the sense of at-homeness, 
you had in your house, you get back 100 times the comfort and security of knowing that your Lord owns every house and land and stream and tree on earth. Isn't what Jesus is saying to the prospective missionaries just this? I promise to work for you and be for you so much that you will not be able to speak of having sacrificed anything. (laughs) That's good. You'll gain so much, Jesus is saying, that you won't feel like you've lost anything. That's not a sacrifice. That's an investment. You invest in obedience and gain everything from Jesus. We have a hard time sometimes seeing that. When Jesus gives us a command, I want you to do this, or I want you to give that, or I want you to give up that, whatever it is, we have a hard time seeing through that to the blessing. That's on the other side. If we saw it better, we would walk in greater obedience more than likely, much more easily. But we see this thing that he's wanting me to give up as so much more pleasurable than what he's got to give, and so it makes it hard to give. We see maybe this money that he's saying, I want you to give this to help with this or whatever. We see that as, but I need this, and we don't see what's behind it is so much better than that money. We don't see this instant where he says, I want you to go maybe share the gospel with this person. I want you to give this to this person to help them come to know me. We see the possibility of possibly being shamed, rejected, losing a friendship. We see that as more valuable than what we'll gain for that obedience. So if we can see the prize on the other side we would do that so much better. And that's what Jesus is trying to help us see here. Do you see that? I mean, I want you to see that. That's why I started off with the word motivation. Because Jesus is motivating us to not see these things as so important so that we're not like the rich young ruler where Jesus says, give this up and follow me. And then we say, no. It's more important to me than you are to me. He's trying to help us avoid that because in the end, what you'll find, what every person will find who does that is what I thought was gain is my ruin. I thought this was so good and pleasurable and my life and it's actually my death. I've climbed so high up this ladder, so high, In the end, just to find out, I had my ladder leaned against the wrong building. You'll gain so much. And Jesus is saying that you won't feel like you've lost anything. And that's something the rich young ruler will never find out. And it's something that far too many people living right now will never find out. And Jesus wants something better for you. I want something better for you. Jesus said... For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? 
You must know this, church. When you become born again, you become a child of God. And at that point, you're more closely related to God than even to your earthly family, mother or children. The family of God, both in your brothers and sisters and in Jesus Christ himself, they're the 100-fold that you get back. That's the, let me say that again. That's a good point. It's not, and not because I made it, <laughs> because it's true. When you become a child of God, you are more closely related to God at that point than even to your earthly parents. Your relationship to God at that point and to your brothers and sisters in Christ at that point is tighter and closer than your mom or dad or sister or brother. It's a closer relationship and better. Now, Lord willing, your mother and father here on earth and siblings are in the faith as well. Then they become a part of that family. Then it's even better. Now, all this is comforting, but let's not forget, too, that Jesus said, we get this 100-fold blessing along with persecutions. Did you see that part? It almost doesn't fit when you're just reading that. If you've had to give up this, you're going to get this and this and this and this and this with persecutions and the age to come eternal life. It's almost like, what kind of stick-in-the-mud author threw that part in there? Because if you took that out, it's all just really great. Why throw the persecutions part in there, Jesus? We don't like persecution. Lord, you've probably read the portion of the book of Hebrews that we call the Hall of Fame of Faith. Who knows what chapter that is? Eleven. Yes, exactly. I saw those hands. Um, chapter 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith. Now, listen to the ending of that chapter. I want you to listen to the end of that chapter and see how the tone changes at the very end. It goes from acts of faith that make us want to stand up and cheer to persecutions that make us want to cringe. Listen to Hebrews 11, 32 through 38. It may be on the screen. Yes, it's right behind me as well. And what more shall I say? Because he's been talking about all these heroes of the faith. What more shall I say? For time would fail, to, uh, fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And then listen to how it changes mid-sentence. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, meaning they had nothing. They had to 
They had no clothing. They had to make animal skins their clothing. Destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And then he says this. Of whom the world was not worthy. Of such people, with such strong faith in their Lord Jesus, to go through that and not renounce him. That's the kind of faith we're talking about here. And that's the kind of faith that I'm trying to show you is the biblical faith. There is a faith that the world talks about faith. They'll say, oh, I'm a person of faith. This kind of faith? That if someone says, if you don't renounce Jesus, I'm going to lay you down while you're alive and cut you in half. Now, do you still love this Jesus? And these people said, We'll make sure the saw is sharp. I'm not renouncing my Lord. I don't care what you do to me. I don't care what you do to me. Because on the other side of that saw is glory, heaven forever. And he's better. He's better than you. He's better than a few more years here of life. He's better. And I don't care what you do to me. I'm not renouncing him. I love him that much. No wonder it says, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. By the way, this chapter ends saying that those people will inherit the promise with us. They will inherit the promise with us together. Which lines up perfectly with what Jesus said in our text because after he said we'd receive persecutions, he says, in the age to come, eternal life. So persecutions, let me tell you why, why they're part of this business. Not just because, it's not, don't picture God up in heaven just like, hee, 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 hee. Let's see. It's not like that. It's not like that at all. The Lord is perfect and he knows us so well, and he's designed this Christianity to be the way it is for a reason. And sometimes we don't even understand it until glory, okay? So I'm not here to answer all your questions. I'm not here to answer them all. Even the Bible doesn't even answer all of our questions. It doesn't. And guess what? God does not owe you an answer, even. He doesn't owe you an answer. You're not due all the answers, and that's okay. You can still trust him and believe him and that he's good, even if he doesn't expose to you all the questions, I mean, all the answers of the universe. He's still good. Persecutions were designed to show who's true and who's false. Just like in the parable of the sower and the soils, when Jesus said, he said this, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. Persecutions will not be endured for Christ's sake if you don't actually know and love Jesus Christ, which is why those trials show who's actually true follower of his. If you believe it's a lie, if you believe it's not true, you won't die for it. 
Whoever died for a lie? Who would ever die for something that they know was a lie? Really? You wouldn't. I wouldn't. If I knew it was false, if I knew it's just a charade, I'm not going to die for it. Once you get the knife out, I say, whoa, 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 I was just kidding. Let's not shed blood here. I was just kidding. I don't really believe that stuff. Secondly, persecutions serve as a refining fire, preparing Christians for glory. Listen to what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction, it's interesting that he would call it light, momentary, because Paul lists out all the things that he suffered for Christ. Remember all of them? You might remember all of them. All the whippings and the beatings and the being stoned. And they thought he was dead at one point in the book of Acts. They thought, he's dead. And he got up and went right back into the city to preach again. So it's interesting that he would say light momentary. But he's just comparing it to glory. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. That's what I'm talking about. Being able to look through, look past what's here and now. They're unseen, but God can give you spiritual understanding to see them. For the things that are seen are transient. That means Kiddos, transient means like temporary, um, soon to be gone. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And then Jesus ends with this sentence. Look at verse 31. Jesus ends in our section, verse 31. But many who are last and last first. You guys still hanging with me? Everybody still here? I'm almost done. Many who are last will be first, and first will be last. This is final judgment language, by the way. Uh, Jesus uses that phrase other times in the Gospels as well in reference to the judgment at the end, the last day. Warren Wiersbe said this, To the general public, the rich young ruler stood first, and poor disciples stood last. But God saw things from the perspective of eternity. And the first became last, while the last became first. Those who are first in their own eyes will be last in God's eyes. But those who are last in their own eyes, and I'm going to add, in the world's eyes, will be rewarded as first. What an encouragement for true disciples, he said. There are many who are considered first in this world, who the world puts as first place and says, look how important these people are. They're in first place. They're winners. At the final judgment, they'll be shown to indeed be the losers. They will actually lose out because they do not have Christ. They did not treasure Christ above all things. They treasured treasure above all things. They treasured fame and earthly glory as greater and popularity with man as better and popularity among this culture that glorifies sin. I want to fit in with them. If I do fit in with them, I won't fit in with Jesus. And Jesus says, 
essentially. Well, those who fit in with me, but don't fit in with the world, they're first. The world sees them as last. The world sees them as the losers. Backwards. Don't be like them. Narrow, close-minded fools. That's what they are, believing this archaic book to be still relevant to this day. We define how we live, not this book. And what we'll find at the end is, though you believe your thinking to be so novel and so accepted in this day by denying this book, what you'll find in the end is the only source of divine truth about who God really is comes from the Bible, the thing that you've thrown away. So, what an encouragement that these that have left everything, that are considered the fools in the world, Jesus says, you'll actually be first. So let me finish with this. There's no mistaking that the things Jesus mentioned that one might have to lose to follow him are precious things. There's no mistaking that. House, lands, mother, father, sister, brother, children. No mistaking. But the blessing of following the man Jesus Christ and being recruited in his mission, the mission of the gospel, those blessings far outweigh any earthly loss. We sometimes have a hard time seeing that. I understand that. But I'm telling you, if you saturate your heart and your mind with this word daily, you will see it better. And it will help you make those choices that make for greater glory. The blessings you'll receive from following Christ, both now and in eternity, are going to be so great that you you can't even you can't even imagine them. How do I know that? Listen to what 1 Corinthians 2 9 says. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Eye has never seen, ear has never heard, and it's never entered into the heart of man. Imagination, things you can think about. The things that God has prepared for those who love him. I've said this before. If you can imagine it, it's not actually good enough. And we can imagine a lot of things. I can imagine a lot of things. Good things. And he's saying, it's not enough. If you can imagine it, you're not even close. Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell everything and follow him to see if only having Jesus was enough. So let me end with this question. If Jesus is all you had, is Jesus enough? Father, we are so grateful that we could be here Father, I pray and ask that you would please apply this truth to our heart and help us to see with spiritual eyes the bright, shining, perfectly pure glory that comes from you. And I pray that you would help us to see that you sent your son, Lord Jesus, and he's the only mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can get us to heaven. You said, Lord Jesus... I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, Lord, thank you for making the way to salvation through Jesus. Thank you for that way. 
And I pray, Lord, everyone that can hear my voice would repent and turn to him and believe. And those of us who have believed, help us to continue growing in the faith and seeing that Jesus is enough. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? Let's sing together.